0: Would you pray with me? Lord, we sing this song because we mean it. Knowing you is, is really the best and really the greatest thing. And, um, and Lord, um, just aware again how there are so many voices in our lives and um, we live in a noisy world. And God, in this moment, um, we shut that noise out and, um, and just want to hear from you. Um, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you more. Uh, we want to know you better. We want to know the things you love and the things you hate. Um, we want to know your plan for our lives and uh, and help us to know you more. Lord, as we open your word, would you open our hearts and do what only you can do. God, I pray specifically this morning um, that each of us would would sense your hand in our lives um, and leave this morning with a fresh, fresh sense of joy and purpose um, in the calling that you placed on our lives. and Even just how you have designed each one of us um, and uh, uniquely um, to serve in your kingdom. Lord, we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you again for being here. Um, As Leon said, I really welcome you. If you're new here this morning, uh, my name is Floyd. I do the majority of the preaching and teaching here at Cornerstone. Um, Typically, we are working our way through Uh, second Samuel um, kind of taking it chapter by chapter we're taking a little bit of a detour this spring Um, I've been uh, the rest of the leadership team actually kind of commissioned me asked me to do several messages on biblical church leadership Um, if you were here several weeks ago we did one on biblical church elders and what that looks like how um, to how to sort of see the role of elder and overseer um, in a way that's probably more biblical than maybe some of us have experienced in the past. Um, This is the second one out of three that I intend to do. Um, This this one, we're talking about men's and women's roles, specifically in church leadership. And then uh, the last one will be on biblical deacons. Um, And hopefully, with the intent um, of maybe making some adjustments and establishing um, some biblical deacons and i use the term biblical very intentionally um, because i'm so keenly aware that for many of us there's a lot of church backgrounds that are represented here this morning and for a lot of us we are familiar with the terms things like elder and pastor um, maybe even bishop or deacon but our Familiarity with them, or our experience with them, may not actually be biblical. It may have been more cultural or denominational than biblical, and um, and I think it's incredibly important that whatever we're we're start whatever foundation we are starting with on any of these discussions that we start first and foremost with the question: What would what did God intend, and what does He tell us in His Word about what He intends? the the subject that we come to this morning um in a moment i want to get to first timothy chapter 2 uh, verses 11 to 15 but before i get there i want to just kind of take a little bit of a look at where we are today in church history the situation i i I, this is just my own words i think the christian church is in a storm of loud voices attempting to conform us into the culture's mold of gender confusion and self-promotion for power um I, I, really, I really come to this subject with a bit of that burden of seeing the storm that is kind of going on around us. Um, we live in a world and a culture where increasingly the voices are telling us um, that there should be no distinction of gender, um, that you could choose your own eventually whenever you decide to, and that positions of leadership are really about grabs for power. That that noise is constantly and sometimes effectively trying to press the church into its mold. And I would love to tell you that it never works. Um, I found even the sense of trepidation that I approached this subject with was an indicator of the culture that we live in. Um, Because like thinking about this message and literally hours and hours of study time and reading some resources and listening to some podcasts and doing some digging in, in commentaries and all of those things was done with this question in the back of my mind of, well, how will this be seen, or how will this be received, and somebody is going to disagree. Well, of course somebody's going to disagree, um, because we live in a culture where there are just so many voices, and those voices um, have also permeated into Christianity. Now, that being said, um, I also think that this is one of those subjects that often calls for a level of um, charity towards one another. You you, you probably heard this before, you know, in, um, in things that are essential, we will have unity in things that are non-essential. We will have liberty, but in all things we will have charity. Um, and I, I think that's important. Like there are things that are very essential to the Christian faith and there must be a sense of unity in those things. There is one Lord, one baptism. Um, And there's no negotiating on on the core tenets of the gospel Um, there are also things that that there is some room for some disagreement and I hope that if you find yourself this morning um, wanting to argue that you will hopefully at least consider um, what I'm sharing and if you still disagree then we still love each other but that storm is a very serious reality, um, we are certainly in that culture and it has gotten significantly louder in the last five to ten years. Um, there are very targeted attempts made at our children to confuse genders, um, whether it's through you know curriculum or, or media or you know, what's coming you know, through some of the kids' movies and so forth. And it's concerning, Um, but not to the point of despair. I don't believe. um, Because I believe that the solution is simply that we would anchor ourselves and our views in the design of the Creator as described in His Word. I don't spend a lot of time getting anxious and upset and fearful over what I see happening in a culture Um, because I am confident in the, and the promise of God that if we will anchor ourselves in his design and in his word, um, that we can find stability and that we can, we can find an anchor in all the storms of life. That's not just true of this issue. That's true of any issue. That if we anchor ourselves in him, that whatever the storms are that come, um, that we can find a foundational source of truth that will help us through and help inform us through all of these issues. And I think it's incredibly important this morning that we anchor ourselves in God's Word and in His design. I'm always fascinated when I hear somebody start their part of an argument with, well, I believe, and they go on, or I think, and they go on, and they usually say it in a tone of voice as though that settles it. And i think that doesn't settle anything you just told me what you believe we all believe something um i don't care what issue you're talking about it doesn't really matter that much what i believe or even what you believe it only really matters what god says is truth because at the end of life as i understand the bible to teach you and i will stand before our creator one day and In that moment, we will not be asking, what did that actor or that politician or that person or that pastor say about this issue? All that will matter in that moment is what does God say? And what did God say? And did I align my life with the truth of his his word? And if that is our aim and our goal and our anchor, we'll be okay. Um, It's hard to remember that sometimes in the day that we live because approval and rejection hang on our agreement with the person who's stating things emphatically you understand what i'm saying somebody states something really emphatically and it's like if you don't agree with me i reject you as a person you're failing at life and clearly if you agree with me you are succeeding at life and the opinions of people become an idol that we bow to far too quickly and so my call is to again affirm and to anchor ourselves in what does god say what was his intent and what did he intend so i want to lay, lay that out as sort of a foundational framework and keep moving I mentioned the fact that they, there are a lot of hours invested in this morning, and because of that I'm, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with the time limitations, um, but I'm going to do the best that I can to get you out of here in, um, in good time. I actually have a timer on this thing. Sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. This morning I am, so I'm watching that timer, and it'll actually buzz my hand when it's time to quit, so um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding about that. <laughs> Alright, I want to deal with some terms quickly, and then we'll move on. Um, And the reason I... And let me go back just a little bit. The reason I want to go here, these these are not biblical terms. But if you do any study, almost everywhere you go, you're going to find people referring to these terms. And so I want to just give them a few moments, acknowledge them, acknowledge that they're maybe useful in sort of describing views, um, but also... Keep in mind that I didn't get these out of the Bible, so they should be held in that regard. First of all, the the position of authoritarianism or being authoritarian where all positions of authority should simply be held by men, plain and simple. Um, And you may say, well, that sounds accurate. And I kind of have this on the concept of a spectrum. Um, at the other end of the spectrum is sort of the egalitarian, which is everything is equal. There are no distinctions between genders or roles, um, whether we're talking about, in, in this morning's context, we're talking specifically about church leadership. So, um, so that would be applied to church leadership in this context, where everything is equal, there are no distinctions, anything that a man can do, a woman can do, and anything that a woman can do, a man can do. Um, kind of between those in, on that spectrum is what people call complementarianism, Um, where men and women have different roles by design that complement each other. Um, And the reason I put that on a spectrum is because I've I've really discovered that there are a lot of people, I would say the vast majority of people within evangelical Christianity would consider themselves complementarian, where they would say God designed men and women distinctly different with different roles, and those roles complement each other and and i find myself you know kind of acknowledging that uh that general view but i've also discovered that there's sort of a spectrum of people even within that description um some of them you know sort of slide the scale one direction and some of them sort of slide the scale the other direction and um generally with their own pet passages often ignoring other passages in the process so um I'm not necessarily here to make an argument for a label this morning. Uh, My argument is simply to go to God's word and say, Lord, what do you say about this particular issue and how would you have us apply it here in 2023 um, at our own church? The reason I put those up is because um, I just, I just think sometimes it's helpful because if you're doing your own research, you will find these terms very quickly. Like people are going to be using these terms pretty regularly, and I want you to kind of have some framework for what they're talking about um, in, in regard to that. You may even find yourself this morning emotionally reacting to some of that to some of those terms, like you, you may be sitting here having grown up in a very authoritarian setting where it was, um, where women were treated as a second class or an inferior gender, um, like it was just very authoritarian and be saying, how can you even talk about that? Because um, that was so hurtful. Climates often where there is abuse and, um, and it's sort of swept under the carpet in many cases in, author- in strongly authoritarian settings. Um, you may come from having had a background with with sort of more of an egalitarian, where it's like, no, everything is you know everything is equal, and and there is no distinction, and and God just made us all the same, and um, and even to the point of questioning, like literally the physical biological differences between men and women, and be saying that's just dumb, and I don't like it, and I don't like you put it up there. Well. Bear with me. The bigger question is, like I said, what does God say about it? And then I want to take that to our text. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 11 and read to verse 15. This is Paul writing to 1 Timothy. This is one of the pastoral epistles. So Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus and even First and 2 Thessalonians are written from a pastoral standpoint of this is how you should conduct church and this is these are the things that are important and in verse 11 he says let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness i do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man rather she is to remain quiet for adam was formed first and then eve and adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control and some of you this morning are listening to that saying what in the world is wrong with paul (laughs) are you kidding me how he sounds completely sexist like how dare he say that a woman should learn quietly and then like this really Rankles our American sensitivities to say um, she will be saved in childbearing. Like, really? Paul? What's going on here? This is a problem passage, by the way, for everybody approaching this subject. Um, there's sort of a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 to 36, and I'm not going to go there. It's, it basically says essentially the same thing. Um, Paul wrote very similar words to the Corinthian church. Um, well, Paul, you didn't know, clearly didn't know that we would be more enlightened by the time we got to 2023. We'd be smarter than this. Um, this has been sort of two wrong approaches to this passage, I would submit to you. One of them being, and this is why I put the terms up a little bit ago, one of them being at the one end of the spectrum, to camp here and to assert male dominance. And I, um, and I use this and then to use this passage and the one in First Corinthians as sort of a club. Um, we will keep women in their place. A second wrong approach I would submit to you is and this one may be more familiar, is to do acrobatics to the point that we make it say exactly opposite of what it actually does say. And it reminds me sometimes when I hear, um, when I hear or I read some of the commentaries on this passage, it reminds me of that old game Twister, and I don't know if any of you guys ever played Twister. But you know, they had all these dots on the, on the mat on the floor. And then if you draw a certain color, you have to put like a left hand over here and a right hand over here and a right foot and a left foot. And pretty soon everybody's twisted up in knots and about to fall over because that's where they're told to put their position. And I've watched people do that with this passage. It's like a theological game of twister. It's like, well, I know I have to kind of put my, this position here, and I've got to put this position over here, and I have to put this position over here, because that's what I'm told I have to believe. And so therefore, by the time I get done, the passage doesn't say anything at all. It's just dismissed. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't think it's even relevant to us. Well, then why is it even in there? Now, this passage has does have a cultural component to it as most New Testament teachings do I mean let me give you an example Paul wrote a fair amount about eating meat offered to idols is that a problem for us yeah no kind of yes no when's the last time somebody sat down and said you should eat this meat. It was offered to the idol of strength and it will make you strong. Never happened in my life. Does that mean then that the passages about eating meat offered to idols are irrelevant to us? No, it actually doesn't mean that at all. There's a cultural component and there's a transcendent principle. There's a number of other places in scripture that those are that that we find those things happening where there is a cultural component and there is a transcendent principle. And wisdom is understanding that there is often a cultural component but there's also a transcendent principle. This is one of those situations. There is some things going on in the Ephesus, in the church at Ephesus that if you would go back and you would read Um, The opening statements of first Timothy and the closing statements, which by the way is a good way to understand the theme of a book um, Or what theologians call melodic line. It's the melody of that particular book is To read the opening statements and then also read the closing statements And it gives you a good sense of what the what the theme or the melodic line of that book is Um, you would find that one of the one of the issues being addressed as Paul is writing this letter, is to avoid heresies and endless controversies. Um, There was clearly a group of people who were teaching heresies at the church of Ephesus. And this letter is written with those people in view. And so Paul is addressing a very real problem at the church of Ephesus. And this Passage, as well as the other passages in 1st and 2nd Timothy also are read with that in view. That Paul is addressing people who were teaching heresies. And so when he comes to this passage, interestingly enough, he doesn't actually say, I don't permit a woman to carry a set of titles. He says, I don't permit a woman to do certain things. And he could have used titles if he'd have wanted to because he does in the next chapter. He could have used titles like elder, deacon, overseer, whatever. I don't, I don't, he just didn't. He said, um, He said to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And the word exercise authority is literally only used one time in the New Testament and it's right here. And it literally has to do with this idea of a dominant position. Um, or a a, an act of dominance and he says I don't I don't tolerate that in the churches Um, and then if we think okay well that was just an Ephesian issue Paul very quickly cuts off that argument by going to what we would call the created order and he reaches for the transcendent principle behind what he's actually saying. And he's saying there's a transcendent principle of the created order pre-sin, pre-fall, that God formed Adam first and established his leadership, and then he forms Eve, and then he goes to the post-fallen order, which is Eve was deceived and then became a transgressor, um, he says Adam was not deceived Adam did what he did evidently by in knowing rebellion um, again I would be careful not to read into anything that he's not saying here but to just simply accept what he is saying be careful that you don't read into this well so that, I think what this means is that women are just inferior they just get deceived easily I've heard guys say that. Um, Paul doesn't actually say that. I don't actually know how to explain exactly what he's aiming at, and neither do you. The rest of it, we just have speculation. Um, I, I'm, I'm okay with just taking what he said. You know, the, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Um, but I, but I, I'd be very careful not to read more into it than he actually is saying. Uh, he simply is pointing to that there was a created order that God did design man and then he brings woman to man as a helpmeet and we're going to look at that in just a moment. And um, and then that there's also an aspect of his position on what he what He does with women in the church um, that also is affected by the the order of the fall. So, that's kind of our text I think this is also a relevant passage there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus I think that's a relevant passage and needs to also be addressed Um, it's I I refer to that spectrum one end of the spectrum tends to really hone in on you know first Timothy 2 the other end of the spectrum tends to really camp out on Galatians 3 um, both are in Scripture. Both are relevant. Um, I would go to Genesis 127 as well. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female He cre- created he them. And I think at Genesis 127, this lays our, our foundation. And that is that God sovereignly and wisely created us as male or female no one in this room chose to be born male or female god sovereignly chose that for you in his wisdom he chose that for you and for me it is not an accident it wasn't um, it wasn't an act of unkindness it was an act of wisdom and love and the assault on that truth is nothing less than an assault on God himself. It is an attempt to diminish who God is. Someone, someone was telling me just this morning, um, and I think this was being quoted, that it's, either it's, it's to convince us young people that either God made a mistake or he doesn't exist at all. And so the assault on just simply that truth that male and female created he them is is an actual attack on God himself. It's a statement against the sovereign, loving, wise hand of God. And I say that with a lot of compassion as well. I would never want for someone to sit here on on a Sunday morning who was struggling with urges that were attracted to the same gender or questioning their own gender. And here, well, you should never be allowed to address that and to struggle with that. This is not a safe place. We'll just yell at you. Um, If someone is here this morning and that's a stroke, reach out. Um, We would want to help and help you find victory and freedom from that um, and do so in a loving way. But we also are going to be kind enough to say that God created us male and female. Um, the kindest thing we can do is tell you the truth and help you step into and enjoy the gender assignment that God gave you and why He did. I just think it's very critical that that's, um, that that's part of it. Moving on. This has to frame our discussion as it relates to church leadership, and that is that biblical leadership in the church is servant leadership. Leaders are servants first, and Jesus led as a servant. If we get this wrong, we will argue about this issue. If, if you see church leadership as a place in a position of privilege and power, then you will rightfully bristle at the idea that certain roles should be held by men and some should be held by ladies. If you see it as the world around us sees it, as the culture sees it, as position equals power and privilege, and you don't understand the biblical model of church leadership. The biblical model of church leadership is always servant leadership it is first to be a servant and i think that is critically important in this issue it is absolutely essential that it doesn't matter if you're a man serving in a role or a woman serving in a role you do so from the context of christ's example and the teachings of Scripture, that you do so not in a way that is domineering, but in a way that is serving. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He took on the form of a servant, it says in Philippians 2. And I, I am increasingly concerned by the culture in Christianity of celebrity church pastors and musicians and some of the other roles. Um, I despise the culture that it creates of of elevating humans to a place of power and privilege that doesn't resemble Christ at all. And it doesn't resemble a biblical model of leadership in a church. Crawford Loritz wrote a book, um, probably one of the most helpful books in leadership I've ever read outside of the Bible. Um, and it's just called Leadership as an Identity. And he, and he identifies four characteristics of effective men and women of God. He says, uh, he, he talks about that every great man and woman of God shares these four things. Um, there's a sense of brokenness. There's a sense of need for, for their savior. Um, he talks about how everyone shares the um, the aspect of uncommon communion with God The great men and women of God who have been effective in the building of the church have shared that aspect that there is an uncommon communion with God that they know how to sit and with the Word of God and prayer and connect with the heart of God he talks about um, they all share radical immediate obedience it's one of the things that marks great, great people of faith is that they are people of great obedience, radical, immediate obedience. But another one that he really addresses, and this one hits me every time I read this book, and I've probably read it half a dozen times. He says, one of the things that marks all great men and women of God is that they, they share this. They are servants by identity, but not by strategy. Let me say that again. They are servants by identity and not by strategy. In other words, they serve the people around them because it's who they are, because they've caught the heart of our servant master, not as a means of manipulating people. And I would say, especially to young people this morning, if you cannot serve in a place where you are unnoticed, you have no business being in a place where you are. Let me say that again. If you cannot serve in a place where you are unnoticed, you have no business being in a place where you are. If you can't pick up the trash on a floor because you didn't put it there, like that's like doing the unnoticed things and you have no place serving in the context of biblical church work in a prominent or a noticeable position if you're here this morning and you're like man i i aspire to be a leader i want to tell people what to do <laughs> i just tell you to pump the brakes um, and first learn how to be told what to do and to humble intentionally yourself i I, I don't think there's i mean one of the, one of the fruits of this push toward celebrity people within Christendom, one of the fruits of that is a whole generation of young people who would love to be on a platform and who want to be seen, um, whether it's music or speaking or, or whatever and and I, and I love, there's a part of me that just you know, doesn't want to squelch at it all, um, but I'm also old enough to understand what kind of a fruit that's going to produce if we encourage that, and that is a wrong view of biblical church leadership. Um, and so learn to serve, unnoticed, places where you don't know if anybody will ever notice you. And I can assure you, um, God does really good things in your heart in the process. Don't ever grab for positions to be noticed because we're adopting something that's unbiblical. If that is our view, it'll mess up all of the conversation around genders. i got to keep moving. My little uh, thing's about to buzz me. I wanna I want look at some biblical examples, and I wanna do this um, as quickly as we can because I think this is very important. I think that um, the whole council of scripture needs to be addressed in any of these subjects, and this is certainly one of them. Um, the apostles and elders were actually all men um, when Jesus appointed apostles, and when he references elders, they are always men being asked to serve. And again, going back to my previous comments, if you think it was cool to be an apostle, look at how they died they it it was not a fun journey they gave their lives and there are some cases where people saw like the power and the authority that God had given them and they made grabs for that and they addressed it and it was never received well you remember the sons of Thunder you know, um, who came to Jesus and they're like, we'd like to be sitting on your right hand and your your left hand. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Again, he called men to fill these roles, but it is always in the context of serving and sacrifice. But they are men. Um, And I personally would understand Scripture, and and that would be our position here, is that the role of an elder would be filled by men, um, biblically. And that that would be consistent with all of the rest of scripture as well as the passage that we just looked at Phoebe this is an interesting one Romans chapter 16 verse 1 um, Phoebe was a lady she carried the letter of Romans um, letter carriers t- tended to read their letters and sometimes even expound on them and um, and then she's called a deacon in Romans 16 um, a lot of a lot of your translations will use the word servant um, but the, the Greek word is the same word that you find elsewhere in Scripture as deacon. In fact, in First Timothy, where we're going to look at deacons here in a few weeks, um, the word is diakonos, and, um, and Phoebe was a diakonos, and, um, and she was a deacon. And if, you know, there again, if you kind of take an unbiblical view of the role of deacon, and they're just a authoritarian position then I would understand why somebody would say that a lady shouldn't be a deacon if you take a biblical view which is um, that they're they're people who serve um, I don't think it was a problem at all for Phoebe to be a deacon and um, and probably shouldn't be if a church is using the role of deacon in a biblical way for women to fill that position as deacons Um, Priscilla and Aquila are kind of an interesting couple because they co-led in church and that brings up kind of an interesting point. Um, one of the things that we do here at Cornerstone, it, it may be unique, may seem odd to you. Um, when, so we have four men who serve as elders here at Cornerstone. It's Mark Nebel, Ryan Miller, Leon Stutzman, and myself. I don't have a prominent role. Um, and I might, if you were here, when I talked about elders, you might remember that. Um, we don't make major decisions that all of us are not in unanimous agreement on our wives are at every meeting and they are a part of every meeting and we co-lead as couples really Um, I we have found that to be incredibly incredibly one a a blessing like God has worked in uh, in some wonderful ways um, through the involvement and doing this as couples where like Priscilla and Aquila um, we do lead. We do so as couples. And um, and our wives are very involved in in the, the decisions and even the leadership of the church. Now, if we reach a decision or if we hit a decision and, um, and I'll pick on Leon and Wanda um, and Leon and Wanda came to that and one of them was strongly on one side of the issue and the other one was on the other side of the issue um, we would probably back up and say let's just not make a decision um something maybe unhealthy is going on here and um that's why i was picking on leon and wanda (laughs) because they're like one of the healthiest people on our leadership team um so there there is there is my point being there is precedent for new testament church to be to have leadership that functions in um as a role of a couple so um women prayed and prophesied in churches there's a couple examples of that um which again that could spin us off into a whole you know discussion about what it meant to prophesy in church boy that would get us all over the place and um and we'd be here for you know another sermon or two at least Um, this one is really interesting to me women were the first to proclaim the risen savior in a culture Where a woman's voice was actually not um, considered relevant testimony in a court of law isn't that odd Um, that a woman's voice was not considered relevant testimony in a court of law in that culture that Jesus in his sovereign wisdom first appears to the women and they are the first ones to proclaim the risen Savior the call to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel is never given to one gender or the other. The preaching and the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is universal to believers. It doesn't matter whether you were born man or woman. Are there roles within the church that should be distinct? I would understand scripture to say yes there are. should that be viewed as a superiority or a difference in value? No. being consistent be inconsistent with Scripture. Uh, scripture does place a high value, in fact, a countercultural value, I would argue, on the role of women in proclaiming the gospel to the world in that time. So, there's... There's an incredibly vital role um, that both men and women played in the early church and I think should play in the church today. That simple statement's not controversial. The part that's controversial is to say, and there are certain roles that should be distinctly male or female. Um, I would understand the role of elder to be distinctly male. And that part is kind of controversial. Um, and again, I would just appeal to you to return back to anchor in God's word and to say, is that consistent with scripture? And um, there, are, there are books, there are lots of books, too many books, being written about this subject. Some of them are very demeaning towards men. I just read one here within the last couple years. Um, the the lady that wrote that book basically assigned all of the problems that exist on planet Earth to white men. I mean, that's that that's basically the, the gist of the book. I could save you a lot of hours of reading. Um, it was like all everything that's bad that ever happened, and she went after everybody. You know, Billy Graham, bad guy, um, like everybody. And, uh, and I got done with the book, and, but it was completely w- void of redemption whatsoever. Like there, was, there wasn't even any solutions. And I got done with the book and I was like, wow, everything that's wrong in our world is my fault. <laughs> I'm a guy. <laughs> um, I'm also aware of books being written where it would be flipped and it's very demeaning towards women. And I would, I would contend with you that we, if, if our position is demeaning either to men or to women, we are taking an unbiblical position. That's not the heart of God. There's, there's incredible value placed on each of us as image bearers of God's image. This sermon in a sentence, you are designed in God's image and equipped for the work of his church according to his perfect plan. That's universal to everybody who's here. There is something very unique that God has done in assigning your gender, your personality, your place in life. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the town that you would be born in. You didn't choose a lot of things about yourself, your personality. Those were sovereignly, wisely, and lovingly chosen for you. Read Psalm 139. God formed you. He chose you. And he specifically equips you for the work of his church. And he has a perfect plan for your life. And if you don't get anything else out of this morning, you might be saying, man, I don't agree with some of the conclusions you came to. Could you please agree with this? God has chosen and designed me for the work of his church. And I should be asking him where I fit in and what role he wants me to play. And if you don't get anything else out of this morning, if you would just leave here with that question between you and God, God, where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve in the work of your church? What, would, what could I do that would be helpful in the, in the advance and the furtherance of the gospel? That's enough. You can, you can start from there. And I really trust the Holy Spirit to guide you through that. I trust the process in your life and in my life to guide us through that. He's really good at it. I have watched story after story after story of people's lives who began with that kind of posture of, Lord, it's not my life, it's yours. I surrender it to you. You made me this way. And I trust you. Now, what do you want me to do with that? Where do you want me to go with that? How do you want me to serve? I don't need a position. I don't need a title. I don't even need anybody to notice that I'm serving. But where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do, God? And you were designed specifically for a specific task. A few deeper study questions. I'm going to give you just a moment to maybe snap a picture of that. I want to share a quick story with you in closing and um and then a passage that is a a scripture that is really a prayer and i think that really sums up everything for us um some of you are familiar with the with the name lottie moon um kind of a fun name you know lottie moon um fascinating story born in the late 1800s um very very gifted young lady and also sort of hostile to Christianity and she was on a college camp she was a college student and she um, was aware that there were tent revivals happening on her college campus and she went to the tent revivals with the intent to mock the Christians and she was so overcome by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that she gave her life to Jesus and committed her life to his service she eventually felt called to go to inland China as a missionary. This is during a, um, a pretty massive movement throughout uh, Western Europe and America, where a lot of single ladies were giving their lives to missions and to advancing the gospel in places. Um, you know, if you've been here the last couple years, you became familiar with Billy Matiabo, who was our assistant pastor until he left to go plant a church. And um, and Billy would tell you that, that his people group were evangelized by a couple ladies from Norway. And, um, you know, they came in and shared the gospel with this group of people in the Congo, and, um, and Billy always kind of chuckles a little bit, and he says, and we're still arguing over women, whether women should do that or not. <laughs> you know, a hundred years later. Um, Lottie Moon was one of those ladies, and she went to China, and... and um, He's working inland China and just so frustrated with how um, tightly women were being controlled in the mission there. She was part of the Southern Baptist missions and, um, and she was also a very gifted writer. And she started writing back to the missions publications in the Southern Baptist Convention. And she said some really interesting things. Like she, she just said, you cannot imagine the boredom that I am experiencing over here because I'm not allowed to do anything because I'm a woman. Um, and, and she said, and she would write this stuff and these weren't private letters, these were letters to like their mission publications. And one of the responses, another um, missionary wife responded to Lottie Moon's writings and she said the proper role of a female missionary is to attend with a quivering lip to her own children. Uh, I hope that you have a problem with that. Um, She's saying, you have no business trying to take the gospel anywhere. You should just take care of your kids. And I love the term, with a quivering lip. Um, A lot of you, started traveling around inland China and she eventually came into a village where there were people who were so hungry for the gospel, she just saw God do an incredible work. She essentially um, installed the pastors of that church who then baptized thousands of people into the Christian faith. And she wrote back, again in one of those publications, She said, it is odd that a million Baptists of the South can furnish only three men for all of China. And that was the case. There's a million Southern Baptists in the South, and she said, and we got three men in China. And she says, I wonder how these things look in heaven. They certainly look odd in China. And you're like, where are you going with all that? Here's what I'm saying. A, A, the call to spread the gospel is universal. And B, one of the reasons that we are even wrestling through these issues is because of passivity in men. Um, And men tend to either become unhealthily aggressive or unhealthily passive, instead of leading as servants. And so my call to both men and women, but but I want to just for the moment address to men, um, are you stepping into the role that heaven designed you for? Does heaven look at our current culture and say, I see churches full of men who won't lead, and it looks odd from heaven, and it probably looks odd in China too. Does heaven look at churches full of women who won't serve, who won't step into the roles that they were designed for? Um, be deacons in the biblical sense again. You're gonna—I mean, we're gonna get more into that—to um, serve the work of the church, to add, to advance the gospel and say, boy, this looks odd from heaven. They're consumers, not givers. They just take and take and take, and they don't give. I don't know what you want the story of your life to be, but I don't want to come to the end of my life realizing that all I did in the kingdom of God was to absorb and to take. Like, I just took. I came and I took. I came and I took. And I just absorbed as a consumer and the w- problem with being consumer is that you're constantly unhappy with something because the product is always imperfect I got that book by uh, or that story about Lottie Moon out of the book um, from Jerusalem to Arian Jaya which is a, a biographical account of church missions it's actually in our resource center it is a fascinating story after story after story after story of how God advanced the gospel through the ages of the church and he did so with men and women who were very human and who were very broken at times. And the fact that it was so successful and that the millions of people today who know Jesus is a testament to the sovereign good hand of God. He didn't send angels to, send, to share the message. He assigns humans, men and women. He saying you and me to share the message that he loves people, he loves sinners, and that he died for them. And I want to close with this. There's a verse. Um, Amber, if you guys want to go ahead and come on up. I want to share this verse because I think this sort of summarizes and brings it all together. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and this, is, this sounds like a benediction, but it's actually in the middle of Ephesians. And it's almost like Paul is prefacing, if you would go to the next chapter, Ephesians 4 actually talks about all the different gifts that, that he assigns to the church. Like he gives people the gift of, of mercy. Why? To build the church. He gives people the gift of teaching. Why? To build the church. He gives people the gift of, of prophecy. Why? To build the church. By the way, by the way, you're, gonna, you're really not going to like me for this. Nowhere in that list is there the gift of working with kids Why? I think it's because it's universal to all of us. I think it's assumed that it's like, if you're a Christian, make sure, because Jesus made it so clear that he cared about the kids. So Tara can thank me later. I might've just helped her cause. (laughs) I just think it's universal. Um, So, you know, I'd be very careful about saying, well, it's just not my gift to work with kids. (laughs) It's not in the list you're a believer. Um, So Paul is leading up to that with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The power comes from him. The assignments come from him. The calling comes from him. And and the ability to do what he has asked us to do comes from him. Don't miss that. Whatever God has called you and I to do, we do so in the context of dependence on the Spirit of God. The power and the ability come from him. He sanctifies us in the process. And it is all for the glory of his name. And... If I could give you an application, like I said a few moments ago, Lord, what do you want me to do? And how would you want me to glorify your name in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations? Man, isn't it good that these truths transcend generations? Regardless of the cultural pressure around us, that these things are true. And that we, you and I, were called to glorify his name in the work of the church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each person here this morning. Um, God, thank you that you have made each of us in your image, that we bear your image as men and as women, um, different aspects of your character and your attributes. And uh, and God, this morning, um, we just pause in this moment and say, thank you, Lord, um, for the way that you have designed me. Lord, there may be someone here this morning who... Um, who's actually not at peace with that. And I pray that you would, even in this moment, that you would give them the the confidence and the peace and the assurance of just trusting your sovereign hand. Lord, I pray for each person here this morning that you would guide us in understanding what you have called us to, what role you've assigned us to, what activities you've assigned us to. Um, Lord, help us to to walk in humble obedience and to trust you. God, push through even our resistance. Um, Our flesh moves towards comfort, towards self-glory. And um, forgive us for that, Lord. Change that. And help us to serve with one goal like the Apostle Paul here said to glorify your name on heaven and earth and that'll be enough. Lord, one day we'll stand before you. God, the cry, the call of my heart, the cry of my heart is simply that every one of us would hear, well done. God, I don't want it. I don't really even need to hear anything else and neither does anyone else here we just want to hear you say well done that the relationships you gave us, the opportunities you gave us that we invested them as you would have had us to and that we could one day um, stand before you and hear that that's enough and so God I pray um, that you would redefine success for us um, with that moment in mind as only you can And we pray it all for the glory of your name. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.